great. Well, my name's Simon, part of the team here, and uh, I have, well, not very long <laughs> to uh, carry on our series on uh, storylines. Just want to firstly though, add my thanks for those who gave to our offerings. Phenomenal. Thank you so much. And uh, the way I look at it is, although it would have been great to get the whole amount that we wanted, you know, God always pays for what he orders. So I have not got any doubt that he is going to, if he wants us to have an extended car park, we will have one. Or we will be pulling cars out of the mud forever. That's fine. <laughs> we'll do it either way, Lord. But he will provide. And um, so we're trusting him. Thank you so much for those who gave. It's just phenomenal to be able to serve the poor in that way and to give to others. Amazing. And um, so we're in this series called Storylines. We're looking at God's big picture. And as I was looking at and thinking about that this week, I was reminded of when I first heard the story of Romeo and Juliet. Who has read, seen the movie, or read the book of that story? Interestingly, not as many as you would think, as I found out in the first meeting. I remember when I first heard it, I must have been 14 years old, about 15 years ago. And uh, I, I read it in, in, Mr. in Mr. Hazelgrove's English class. And there I was, 14 years old, and I'd never really you know, thought much about Shakespeare before. But he has a passion for Shakespeare. And so we read the story of Romeo and Juliet together in his class. And the story, for those of you who don't know it, is, is that two star-crossed lovers, Romeo and Juliet. And this is going to be a real plot spoiler if you haven't read it, by the way. <laughs> Sorry about that. But I figured if you haven't read it by now, probably never going to. So, so two star-crossed lovers and Julia is going to marry the wrong guy. She doesn't want to but she's being forced by her family to marry Paris and so she's going to marry Paris. She doesn't want to so she concocts this plan with a priest. She concocts this plan with a priest to fake her own death. If I ever tell you to fake your own death, please just ignore me. So she concocts the plan to fake her own death by drinking a fake poison. She sends a note to Romeo that it's, it's all part of the big plan, but he doesn't get the note. She drinks the fake poison. She dies. Everyone thinks she's dead. He hears that she's dead. He goes to the tomb and sees his dead beloved, thinks there's no point living. He happens to have real poison on him. It's Shakespeare. And so, so he drinks the real poison, and he really is dead. And then you're thinking, don't drink the poison, don't drink the poison, but he's drunk. It's all too late. And then she wakes up, sees that he's dead, really dead, picks up her knife and stabs herself. And that's pretty much the end of the book. <laughs> and you get to the end of it and you think, we've just spent all terms slogging our way through this and they're both dead at the end. And why? Because Romeo didn't get the note. <laughs> he didn't get the memo. He didn't understand what the story was all about. He missed the whole point. And if he just understood what was happening in the big picture, instead of being consumed with his little picture, he would have lived. And it would have all been a very, very different book. Probably not as famous, I don't think, but a very, very different book. And that is the reality for us as we look at this series called Storylines, is there is a big picture story that your story and my story fits within. And we have to understand the big picture stories. That's what the Bible is about. It has big picture stories that we have to understand. Phil last week did a story of the kingdom that goes from the beginning of the Bible right the way through to the end. This week I'm going to do a different story. And the story that I'm going to cover is this. A big story I want to look at is this. Jesus is the sun that we orbit around. There's a typo there for the English students among you, S-O-N. Jesus is, I know it's making you have a nervous twitch. Jesus is the sun that we orbit around. That's the big story. And 
there's this uh, story of Jesus. He's visiting um, one day a pool called Bethsaida, and he's there walking around, and as he's there, he sees a man who's lame. There's a lot of sick people actually around this pool, and he sees one particular man who's lame. He's been lame for 38 years. And uh, just you can read this story in John chapter 5. The man is lame, is laying there, and Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? And through one thing or another, he ends up saying to the guy, look, if you want to get well, pick up your mat and walk. And so the guy gets up, picks up his mat and starts walking, which is phenomenal. Jesus disappears into the crowd. The religious leaders see the guy carrying his mat. Now, in those days, they didn't want you to work on the Sabbath. They didn't want you to work on God's holy day. Carrying a mat was work. It's the trouble with religious people. They miss the healing and focus on the mat, side point. But, so they focus on the mat and the fact that he's carrying the mat, instead of focusing on the amazing 38-year paralytic who's now walking, they're focusing on the mat. And he's like, well, who, why are you doing this? Well, because the man who healed me told me to do this. Caroline's waving at me, which means I'm going too fast. I've only got a few minutes left, my love. And uh, <laughs> so, so they're focused on the... Now I've lost where I was focused. <laughs> so they're focused on the mat. He, they say, why are you carrying the mat? He says, because Jesus told... And then they start persecuting Jesus because he told a guy to carry a mat on the Sabbath. Well, they get into this whole argument right the way through John 5 with Jesus, which finishes with this punchline, Jesus saying this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. That's the point. That's the point of that whole story. That's what it's driving to. What, what does it teach us? Firstly, is this the Bible is not a rule book, it's a life hook. And we have to read it as such. The Bible is not a rule book, it's a life hook hook. Religious people often look for the right thing in the wrong place, or they look in the right place and find the wrong thing. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, you're looking in the right place, you found the wrong thing. But notice that they are searching the Scriptures, which is a good thing. He's not saying, don't search the Scriptures. Scripture is another word for the Bible. He's He's not saying, don't search there. He's saying, you're searching there, but finding the wrong thing there, because they point to me. And we need to look at the Bible in that way. Proverbs 25 says this, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. And John Piper, uh, the great American preacher, after reading that, put on his Twitter feed, Is royalty in your blood? Then ransack the Scriptures for God's hidden treasures. So powerful, because God's not hiding things in the Bible from you, he's hiding things for you. And so often we approach the Bible ourselves and perhaps train our kids or others around us to approach the Bible of, why should I read the Bible? Because you ought to. Well, ought doesn't motivate anyone with any sense of excitement. If you're reading the Bible because you ought to, stop reading the Bible because you ought to. It will profit you nothing. Don't read because you ought to. Read it because you're a son and daughter of the living God and your father, who's the king of kings, has it hidden treasure in there for you. It's like, you know, saying to someone, why should you drink cod liver oil? Because you ought to. And we're like, no, who drinks that stuff? No, it's disgusting. I'm not going to drink it. It's, it's that. And so many approach the Bible that way. They approach the scriptures that way. And they, it's, they, they drink it because they ought to and think, oh, I don't want to do it. No, no, no. Approach it because God, your Father, the King of Kings, has hidden treasures for you in the book. And when you open it like that, he's not hidden things for, from you, but things for you to find that will change your life. That's the first thing that we can get from that story. The second thing is this. The Bible points us to Jesus. It says, the scriptures bear witness about me. And this is the main point. 
How does it do so? Well, a few different ways. Firstly is this, Christophanies. Christophanies, a, a word, a Greek word from two words. One, Christ Jesus. The second is a, a, a phony, which means he appeared. Jesus appeared. And the Christophany is the appearance of Christ in the Bible before he was born on earth. You see, the thing is this. You and I, when we were born, we came into existence. We didn't exist, and then we came into existence. But Jesus... He said, before Abraham was, who'd lived a few thousand years before, I am, i.e., I lived before I lived. I am already in existence. When he came into existence, when when he was born, he didn't come into existence, he just was God putting on flesh. He just was God clothed in flesh. He incarnated himself into our world, which means that right the way through the Old Testament, you have appearances of Jesus right the way through the text. Amazingly. And there's, a num- there's numbers of them. And we can see them when we read it in that light. So firstly, when God was walking in the garden in, uh, um, with Adam, and you've perhaps read that story in Genesis, God's walking in the garden with Adam. All of the early church fathers, apparently without fail, felt that that was a Christophany. It was Christ who was walking with Adam. I never read that, read, understood that until I read that this week. Christ was a, walking with Adam in the garden. When Abraham meets a man called Melchizedek, there's this amazing story about Abraham meeting Melchizedek. He was meeting Christ. It was a Christophany in that moment, many believe. And on and on. The, the other example would be Joshua. Joshua's about to go to battle, and as he's about to go to battle, he meets a man, and he meets this man, and this man has such an overwhelming presence. He says, are you with me? Are you with us? Or are you with our enemies? And the man replies, no, but I come as commander of the captain, of, uh, as commander of the hosts of the Lord. It's like Joshua's saying, are you on our side or are you on their side? And the guy's like, no, no, no. you're on my side. <laughs> You're on my side. That's what a Christophany does. It helps us realize that we think the world revolves around us, but when Christ appears, we realize, oh, he is the sun that we orbit around. It's not the other way around. Joshua's like, are you on my team or on their team? Jesus is like, actually, you're on my team, by the way. It really, really helps us when we view the world in that way. You know, your business is failing. Your business is in trouble. Look at it through that lens. You can say, Jesus, this is your business. Often we want, when it's failing, we want it to be his business. And when it's doing well, we want it to be ours. But it doesn't work like that. It's always his business. It's his stuff. We are serving him. It's your marriage is in trouble. When Jesus, this marriage is only because of you. I'm not orbiting. You're not orbiting around me. I'm orbiting around you. Because you are the sun that we all orbit around. You're seeking a new direction. What are you going to do after A-levels? then come to Jesus, who is the one that you center around, and say, Jesus, I want my life to orbit around you. What do you want me to do? Over the years, you know, as I've been leading this church, I've often reminded Jesus, Jesus, I was happy in my job. You were the one who called me to do this. Now help me. (laughs) But I think it's a healthy approach, actually, because fundamentally our lives should align with him and his plan and he, he's called us, then he is going to resource us with everything we need. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this ancestry. The scriptures speak of Jesus through his ancestry. He didn't just pop out into existence in, onto this earth out of nowhere. He was born from a family line. And you see in the Bible two family lines recorded, one in the Gospel of Matthew and one in Luke. And people have been worried over the years, well, hang on a minute, how come the names in those two lists are different? But 
Actually, it's, I used to be quite concerned about that, but there's some consensus. The reason the, the names are different is that Matthew and Luke were writing to different people. Matthew was writing to mostly Jews, and they always traced the family line through the men. And so he traced it through Joseph, who was, although he was Jesus' stepfather, actually that was the family line that Matthew tra traced. Luke, on the other hand, is writing to a Greek-based people, and they weren't too worried about that, and so he traces the line through Mary, who actually Jesus did descend from. And you see that. What's interesting about it, though, is the names in the list, because some of the names, you think, those names should not be there. I mean, for example, look at the four women that are listed. Tamar committed incest and deceived her family. Rahab was a prostitute and not even a Jew. She was a Canaanite. Ruth was a foreigner who did not belong on the list. And Bathsheba committed adultery with David, with King David. And yet all four appear in the lineage of Jesus. What's the point? No matter how messed up your life is, when you combine it with the life of Christ, it turns into something glorious. <laughs> You know, next time that little voice goes in your head when you're in church or you're, you're connecting with some Christians and the voice comes in your head and says, you don't really belong here. If only they knew your story. You can say, well, Rahab belonged <laughs> and she was really messed. And I, I'm not sure I'm even as messed as she was messed. She was really messed and she belonged. Man alive. If she belonged because of Jesus, then I belong because of Jesus. So don't let that voice ruin your week anymore. Instead, let it reflect that no matter how messed your life or how broken or how in pain or suffering you are, Christ is the one. When you align with him, when you orbit around him, the radiance of his sun penetrates to the depths of the darkest part of your being and brings it into light and brings the shadows into light. The ancestry of Jesus teaches us something massively about who he is. And the third thing is this, the types. That, that right the way through Scripture, there are people who are types of Christ. They are a, a picture, if you want, an imperfect picture of Jesus. So Adam would be the, the most famous type of Christ. Adam was the first man. Jesus is the first new man. <laughs> In one sense, we inherited a load of junk from Adam, but we inherit a load of great awesome, amazing things from Christ. He is the prototype of who we are now because once we were in Adam, now we are in Christ. So when you read the word Adam in the Bible, think he is just a picture of the Christ who is to come, the new man who is to come. Joshua, his name means the same as Jesus. It means saviour. And Joshua was the one who saved his people from uh, who saved the people by taking them into the promised land. Christ is the new Joshua who takes God's people into the new promised land, a greater promised land, a heaven on earth land where God dwells with men and there'll be no more tears or mourning or, or dying or suffering anymore, get happy at any point. Jesus is the new Joshua who takes us to the new promised land. And, and David was the, the clearest. King David was the clearest type. David was a mighty warrior king, Jesus is the mightiest warrior king. David was the shepherd who ruled over God's people in faithfulness. Jesus is the good shepherd who rules and leads God's people in faithfulness. David faced off against the greatest giant, the greatest enemy that Israel ever had, Goliath. And he beat him and he chopped off his head with his own weapon. Jesus faced the greatest enemy that mankind has ever had, death itself. And he beat him and he chopped off his head with his own weapon, the cross. <laughs> And so when we, re when we look at these 
stories in the Old, the Old Testament, we read them, don't just get some moralistic lesson of, oh, David was brave, we should be brave like him. That's a good point, but really we've got to see, we see in David a Christ who is to come. We see in David the beginnings, the prototype, the type of Christ who is to come. David was a mighty warrior, but Christ is the mightiest warriors. And so when we read the Old Testament and we read the stories, we read about Christ who is to come. And we see our world revolves around his son. Everything revolves around his story. The whole of the Bible is speaking about Christ. In imperfect measure, it's speaking about the Christ who is to come. And then lastly, the fourth way we see, the, the, we see Jesus in the Scriptures is we read the whole Bible in the light of Jesus. I mean, take for example, one example, Paul writing to the church in Corinth, which was messed sexually beyond any church that I've ever known. They were, some of them were sleeping with prostitutes, one of them had, was sleeping with a relative. I mean, it was messy. But look what Paul writes to them. Flee from sexual immorality, understatement. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, who you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God with his body. How do we want to approach it when we mess up and other people mess up? Stop it and stop it now and just stop it. Stop it yesterday. Stop it. Stop it. That's how we want to respond. But what does Paul do? He says stop it, but not in the way we say stop it. He says stop it by appealing to who they are. He says, you were bought with a price. What was the price? The blood of Christ. And so he says, you are too good to live this way anymore. You are too good to give yourself into this sin anymore. You were bought with Christ, and now the Holy Spirit lives in you. It's a whole different message right there. And when we read the Bible, we have to read it through that lens. Otherwise, we just get an impossible moralistic list of things that we can never hope to achieve in a possible lifetime. We just can't do it. But when we read the Bible through the light of Christ, we see there is no one who can fulfill this, but Jesus himself living in us can do it. He is the one who can help us live the kind of lives that we were born to live. He is the one who's put his spirit in us, who can make us the people who are generous enough, who are pure enough, who are holy enough. He has covered us with his blood so that we can live free. And our behavior changes. And so instead of reading the Bible and coming back with, I should be doing better, I'm failing, I'm messing up in this, that, and the other, read it through this lens. Because of Jesus, I am now a new creation this is how new people live. I'm going to live this way. <laughs> I am going to live this way because of Christ in me, the hope of glory. You know, Caroline and I are spending some time really focusing, working on our marriage at the minute. We've been married 17 years. And uh, we felt like in many areas we plateaued and we didn't want to stay that way for the rest of our married life. So we've been working on our marriage you know, the danger with that is that you come out with a list of things that you're failing, a list of things that you're doing wrong, a list of things that you want to change. You come out of it just trying harder. But the problem with that is, even if we improve by trying harder, who gets the glory? We do. <laughs> we get the glory. Whereas if we improve by bringing our pain, by bringing the things we want to change to Christ and saying, Jesus, we orbit around your, our marriage orbits around your son, Will you help us change these things? Then when we change, which we will, who gets the glory? <laughs> Jesus. We then become the gospel. 
And when we meet with others who are wanting to work on their marriage, we can say, instead of pointing, well, look what we did, (laughs) we can say, look what Jesus did in us. And then we become the replication of the gospel. We become those who proclaim the gospel via very lives. Isn't that what we're all to do? (laughs) Isn't that what we're all to do? Thank you, Jane, for agreeing with me. That was wonderful. It's not about information. It's about transformation. It's about life flowing into you and through you. When you read the scriptures, see the big story. See the big story of Jesus, the one who was the great saviour, the one who was the mighty king, the one who was the good shepherd. He's in every page. All the scriptures lead to him. If you read the Bible because you ought to, you're missing something. Stop. Freeze. Get some help. Go back. Read it through a different lens. The king of kings has hidden treasure in the pages. And that treasure will come alive to you if you read it through the lens of where is Jesus in these pages? Where is Jesus in these stories? How does Jesus change me through this story because of who he is and what he has done? You know, I was speaking at a conference recently and there was a guy there and one of the things that Jesus said to do was to forgive. He didn't really want to but he forgave someone who he'd had a long-standing issue with because of what Jesus had said. And as he forgave them, he had knee problems in both of his knees, which no one knew about and no one was praying for, and both of his knees were healed as he forgave somebody for what... How does that even work? I don't know, but I know this. Jesus said, come to me and you will find life. And when life starts to flow, all this other stuff starts to get, get sorted out in our lives. As we align ourselves, as we begin to orbit afresh around him, instead of asking him to orbit around us. And that's what I do so often. And that's what many of us do, isn't it? We're so self-absorbed that we want him to revolve around us. But listen, Jesus is very big. (laughs) You know, for years, mankind thought the earth, thought the sun revolved around the earth. And it was only one day we woke up and realized, oh, it's the other way around. That can be from like many of us as believers. We can forget we revolve around him. And if we keep insisting that he revolves around us, sooner or later, we become a very lonely rock floating in space. Whereas if we align our orbit with him and say, Jesus, my whole life, my marriage, my business, my kids, my family revolves around you, then we receive the light and the radiance of his goodness and we stay alive. There are plenty of lonely rocks in the universe there's only one earth and it exists because it's just the right distance from the sun and it absorbs the sun's life and energy and it lives. And Jesus says, align yourself with me, find me in the scriptures and in every way and you will live. That's his promise to each one of us. Let's pray, shall we? If you want to just respond to that point, you feel like, you know what? I feel like too many areas of my life or one area of my life has been revolving around me and I want to realign my orbit. Why don't you just stand quickly to your feet? We don't have long before we need to release the parents. Just, just stand quickly to your feet. If you say, I want, to, I want to take a moment now just to stop. Just to stop and align. Just stand quickly to your feet wherever you are. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you. We just stop this morning and say, Lord, let our orbits revolve around you. Give him the situation, whatever it is. Say, Jesus, I want to receive your light, your warmth, 
Come, Spirit of God, fall on each one. Let us move from this place with a fresh orbit, a fresh alignment, with the message of your gospel flowing through us, we pray in Jesus' mighty name.